he looked down at me with tears in his eyes and he said, listen, he said, you know, I've, I've got the corporation, I've got the position, I've got the money, I've got the cars, I've got everything. He said, but there's something that you have that I don't have, and that's joy. He's like, where do you find your joy? I realized at that point um, that, again, this is not just for me. I knew from there, like, Mo, this is bigger than you. You're two feet tall, but let me tell you, you're, you're impacting so many different people. You are a giant. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Now here's your host, Megan Hayes. Monique Johnson is an artist, attorney, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker known for her gifts of humor, intelligence, business acumen, and the ability to inspire others. Born with diastrophic dysplasia dwarfism, one of the rarest forms of the condition, Monique Johnson was also born with scoliosis, which caused curvature of the spine. Doctors anticipated that her spine curvature would collapse her lungs and her heart and predicted she would not live past the age of six. At an early age, Johnson realized overcoming obstacles of her own gave her the power to not only live, but succeed beyond anyone's expectations. Now the co-founder of Made to Soar LLC, she capitalizes on her sense of humor, combining straightforward pragmatism with a drive and enthusiasm for inspiring others to advocate for those with disabilities, speak in support of education and diversity initiatives, and develop creative and innovative lectures, speeches, and trainings for corporate entities, educational institutions, and athletics groups and organizations. While Johnson stands at two feet in stature, she fills a room with her presence and has been called gigantically tall in her wisdom and insight. Her incredible tale of perseverance and her gifts of humor, painting, and motivational speaking are profoundly empowering to others. Her work and her powerful example have led to being featured on news platforms ranging from local to national, including Fox and CBS Evening News with Katie Couric. She holds an undergraduate degree in marketing from North Carolina A&T University and a Juris Doctorate from Elon University. Monique Johnson, welcome to Sound Effect. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. Oh, we're so, so glad to have you on our campus. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> what a great way to start 2022. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Can you start by giving our audience just a little bit of background about you and your journey to being a successful entrepreneur and advocate who inspires and empowers others? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it started from, you know, when I was just a young child. Um, I knew that I was destined for greatness. Um, a lot of that had to do with the influence that I had from my family members, particularly uh, the women in my family. I come from a long line of powerful African-American women who really did not allow me to sulk in my condition, but um, really highlighted what my skills and um, just different attributes that would really help me to to succeed, they really highlighted that and um, really inspired me and empowered me to continue on. And so, um, you know, that started from a young age and just continued to multiply with my self-esteem, with my outlook on life and who I am. And I just took their vision and what they stood for and ran with it. So you've talked about how doctors told you that you would not live past the age of six. And each night you went to sleep afraid that you wouldn't wake up the next day. How has that shaped your worldview? Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, unfortunately, you know, much of my childhood, um, especially at night, was, you know, me dealing with fear. Um, And, you know, I wish that I could go back and just kind of reassure myself that, hey, Mo, like, you know, I understand that that's what, you know, the medical professionals have stated, but you've got a long life to live and there's no need to be afraid. I wish I could go back and just speak to my younger self to say that. Um, I am thankful that, you know, uh, they say joy cometh in the morning, right? So every 
day that I would wake up, especially past the age of six, I knew that it was just another opportunity for me to live life. And um, after my sixth birthday, uh, something clicked to say, you know what, maybe medical professionals got it wrong. And I'm hoping that they've gotten it wrong. And now that I'm about to turn 36 years old, I think that they've got it wrong. Um, But, you know, I've used that um, that experience to help shape me to be someone who is fearless today and to not only just be fearless, but to count every day as a blessing um, and to live life to the fullest every single day. It's almost like the fear that you experienced then is something that um, is not only you overcame it, but you're using it in a way to motivate yourself and others um, beyond that point now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the fuel that really kind of projects me to um, just different goals that I want to accomplish. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I, I honestly, that I had that experience. Um, I can say that now looking at it from this vantage point, right. but um, I think all things work together for my good. So, yeah. So can you talk about some of your educational and career choices? You chose marketing as an undergraduate degree, then you got a law degree. What influenced those decisions? So I knew early on that I wanted to be someone of of power, um, someone who could influence others. Um, And so I knew that I wanted to become an attorney. Um, Part of that was because, you know, one thing that I knew that I could do, there were many things that I couldn't physically do, but... God, it really blessed me with the ability to articulate, um, to articulate clearly. And growing up with four other siblings who happened to be females, I mean, we argued all of the time. And so (laughs) I developed the skill necessary to prove my point. And I said, well, hey, if I just pin, you know, if I put these things together and marry my personality with my skills, I could help to speak out for other people who may not have a voice or may not know how to use their voice. And so um, I knew that I wanted to attend North Carolina's A&T State University. Um, and originally I was going to um, major in political science, but the dean over at, um, at A&T of, over business said, hey, listen, we see your 4.0 GPA. If you come over here, we'll give you a full ride. And I couldn't put my wheelchair in a fast enough speed <laughs> uh, over there, and I decided to do so. Um, and so that's why I majored in business. But, I mean, it has helped me um, to become the entrepreneur that I am now. And I married my business degree with um, my law degree. And, hey, it was just a perfect combination for me to do things with excellence um, in business. So, And now you're an entrepreneur, so how did you get to that step how did you get to the step of starting a business knowing that that's what you were going to do yes and then do it yeah originally I didn't think that I would be a business owner to be honest with you Um, my whole goal was to graduate law school and just you know hit the courtroom right Um, but it was upon graduating that the news picked up my story and then from there I received the invitations from all across the country to come and to speak and to and, and to inspire and I didn't think that that would be my thing until it was an elementary school I'm sorry a high school that I went to visit and I was able to see how my story impacted those young people um, and there was a teacher who called me after um, speaking to an ROTC class and she said you know what she said um, there was a young student there who heard your story 
and he had not submitted any other assignments. He had not participated in class. But after hearing you, he decided that he was going to better himself. And so just hearing that, I said, you know what? Um, I think that my story is not just for me, it's for everyone who will hear. And so I decided to kind of shift um, instead of advocating for individuals with disabilities and advocating for others who may not have a voice in the courtroom, why don't I do so from the stage and why don't I do so from in front of the classroom? And that's where my passion decided to uh, magnify and started Made to Soar and been encouraging others to soar ever since. So um, can you talk about one of your most memorable experiences, either in advocacy work or the inspirational work that you're doing now? Something oh, goodness, there's changed? so many. Um, you know, I would say uh, there's so many I could bring up. For me, the what's been the most impactful, actually, I will. Um, I was able to speak um, at a huge corporation um, to be, you know, their keynote speaker. And afterwards, you know, I was wondering, did I really, did I really pierce the hearts of those, you know, out in the audience? Because I, I don't know about you, but anything that I do that's important to me, I do kind of a self-assessment like immediately afterwards, right? And so as I was rolling off of the stage, um, there was a long line of individuals who wanted to shake my hand and just kind of, you know, just say hello. And there was a, um, a businessman um, who stood like taller than me. Um, and he looked down at me and I, I remember seeing him through my speech and it didn't seem like anything was registering. Right. Um, he had this stole this stone cold stance. Um, but here he was at the front of the line wanting to greet me. And he looked down at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, listen, he said, you know, I've I've got the corporation, I've got the position, um, I've got the finances, the money, I've got the cars, I've got everything. He said, but there's something that you have that I don't have, and that's joy. Um, he's like, where do you find your joy? How have you tapped into that? And he literally had tears in his eyes. Wow. And I, I realized at that point um, that it was that it was that um, scenario, um, as well as the scenario with um the high schooler that I realized, you know what, again, this is not just for me. Um, and I was able to inspire him and um, keep in touch with him. But I knew from there, like, Mo, this is bigger than you. You're two feet tall. But let me tell you, you're you're impacting so many different people. You are a giant. Um, and so I've used that to fuel me um, even more to, you know, not kind of be this not think of myself as little, but think of myself as much and mm -hmm. understand that my reach can uh, extend beyond my wildest imagination. So, yeah. Well, we've certainly seen a lot of that today on this <laughs> campus too. So thank awesome. you for that. So um, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you, um, when and how did you discover your talent as a painter? Oh, that's an interesting story. So I've always known that I could command different writing utensils. Um, in elementary school, um, I would have different occupational therapists try to come and give me like different adaptive equipment. And me being a little perhaps hard-headed, possibly, I don't know, but <laughs> you know, I didn't want to stick out, right? I didn't want to, I didn't want to be as different as I was from my peers. Um, thankfully, I didn't have to worry about bullying or anything like that, but I felt like anything that was strange would kind of cause more attention to me and my condition. And so the occupational therapist would always um, try to think of like different tools and gadgets. And I was really determined to say, you know what? Okay, so here's a pencil. And yes, I cannot close my hands because of the way my, my bone structure is. But let's just try, like, let's try. And I realized that I could command 
writing utensils really, really well. So my writing skills from a young age was impeccable. Like I, my my handwriting was better than my, my teacher, right? Um, and so I knew that I had the ability to like maneuver paintbrushes, crayons, markers, color pencils. Um, and then I also had an eye for color. Um, but I did not highlight that at all, elementary, middle, high school. Um, but it was my senior year of high school that my mom found a sale at like at like Michael's or something like that. And if you know anything about moms who love sales, you know that <laughs> I might she's going to get those. something, okay? <laughs> she's going to get something. Um, and so she came home with like a canvas and some paint and said, Mo, like, um, try to paint something on this. And at first I was like, Ma, like, I don't really feel like it. She's like, no, just try. So I was like, all right, fine. So that night I decided to paint um, a, an African-American saxophone player. And it ended up coming out really, really nice. Um, I wasn't surprised, but my mom was surprised. So, of course, being a proud mom, she presented that to, like, family cookouts and everyone knew about it. Um, and then someone at a cookout said, hey, I'll give you $100 for that. Now that, <laughs> that was what really like got my attention and the light bulb popped off. And I said, you know what? Maybe I can flip some of these canvases and, you know, add a couple of dollars in my pocket. And that really motivated me. So, um, so yeah, I just decided, okay, well, cool. So let's push the limits and go with bigger canvases. So I've completed canvases that were four feet. So that's like, what, two feet higher than I am. Um, and I've just been having a ball just kind of really extending outside of my reach to create something beautiful. So, yeah. Well, and you also, didn't you use the proceeds to pay for an aid? I did, school? yeah, because, you know, I had a full-ride academic scholarship, but I wanted to have the full college experience. I wanted to stay on campus, um, but that would require me to have an assistant with me. And um, that was quite costly. But I said, you know what, let's go ahead and just sell as many of these as possible. Um, the news picked it up again. My community back in Greensboro really like picked up the story and people came out to support and I was able to pay for an assistant uh, all four years of college. So yeah, it, it, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> Full-time creative job on top of yes. your incredible academic yes. experience, yes, too. Yes, yes, so. It was a ball of fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I realize it is a little hard to talk about visual art in an audio format, and we're going to post a link to show some of your work on our website so awesome. our listeners can experience it themselves. But can you talk a little bit about your paintings? Like, what kind of subjects do you paint, and what inspires you as a painter? Right. So um, my favorite is doing abstract work. Um, I enjoy being able to put on um, a canvas, take a blank canvas, first of all, and create something beautiful, something that doesn't have structure, but allows the viewer to be able to interpret whatever they interpret from it, to get whatever they get from it. I love being able to even translate and communicate through that. Um, so a lot of my work is abstract work, but I've also um, really kind of picked up with portraits. So different celebrities, um, a lot of my commission pieces are portraits as well, which is kind of funny because I would say maybe about three or four years ago like that wasn't doing portraits and, and realism wasn't like my area mm -hmm. I was quite nervous about you know because if you're painting someone they you know you want to make sure that it looks like them and that they like it and whatnot and so I was quite nervous about that but now um, portraits make up maybe about 75 percent of my commissioned work People love it, um, and I've garnered so much attention around even um, painting celebrities as well on social media. So, you know, what it's taught me is that, um, 
you know, yes, Mo, you can take a blank canvas and, and create something beautiful, but you still need to stretch yourself and you still need to, you know, overcome some things that, you know, may not come naturally to you at first, but with practice and determination, like you can perfect your craft. And thankfully, I think I'm there. Um, so, yeah. Your work is beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, you know, it's interesting you started off talking about your your mother and the women in your family. Um, I was when I was reading up on you, I was remembering my mother always saying that no one wants to be defined by what they can't do. Mm-hmm. We all want to be defined by what we can do and what we do well. So how do you want to be defined? You know what? I, I don't mind being defined by what I can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason for that, and I understand, but for me, I think people look at me and they see what I can't do, mm-hmm. um, but then they see what I can do. And what I think it registers to them or it, tr- it translates to them is that we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all are not capable of doing every single thing. Right. Um, and that is okay. But if you highlight the things that you can do, if you find your gifts and your talents and you really work it, I mean truly work it, um, you can – Number one, it can impact your life tremendously and it can impact the lives of others. And so I think that people are interested in in me as a person. They're interested in my work. They're interested in just my life because they see what I cannot do, but see what I can do. And to a lot of people, that's kind of like weird. It's mind, mind boggling, but I, I love doing it. Um, I like confounding the wise, right? <laughs> like. Like, that's what I love doing. And so, um, so yeah, I think more so I would like to be defined by someone who um, was not afraid to tackle circumstances and obstacles, um, someone who understands her, her weaknesses, her strength, but is determined to, like, really, like, enjoy life and enjoy life to the fullest. So do you ever have days when you just want to have a bad day? Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> you don't seem to be oh like the type. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I love empowering and inspiring folks. I love doing this. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm just like everyone else, right? And there are days that I wake up and I'm just absolutely frustrated. Um, and that can come from many, 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 for many reasons, whether it's an assistant didn't show up that day. And so what does that translate to me? Well, the very things that you might get up out of the bed and you're able to, to do, like, I can't. So I have to figure out, like, okay, well, who's going who's gonna to come in their place? Um, and I think people see my personality, um, which is all true. That I'm being very transparent. Like, you see the joy. You see the happiness. This is all very true because I realize, like, I could not be here, right? So mm-hmm. this is not a fake at all, but I think that I've been able to look at life from – um, the bright side so much that people kind of forget that I do have struggles. And so when I break it down and say, hey, like, yeah, I can I can hop out of the bed, but I need someone to help me with a glass of water mm-hmm. or I need someone to help me with just just the ordinary thing that everyone else takes for granted. Like, I need help with that. And so if an assistant doesn't show up, um, OK, I got to figure this thing out. Um, so. It can come from there. It can come from just not feeling like doing life that day. And I think that everyone has, you know, those days. And it's okay. And, you know, it's it's deciding, okay, well, are you going to push beyond that? Or are you going to just chill out? And I think for me, it's okay sometimes to just chill out, you know. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't want people to beat themselves up for not feeling like doing life that day. Um, and I have those days as well, so... 
I think that's really important sometimes yeah. for people to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, you spoke to audiences today at App State. What was your goal? I've heard you say that you you know you want a goal. You want to learn a little bit about your audience before you go in there. And what was your goal in speaking to that group today? Oh goodness, um, I had I had many many things that I wanted to accomplish. Ultimately, I wanted them to be impacted in such a way that again that they weren't just inspired, right? Like I get that people are inspired by you know Monique, um, your favorite little artist. Um, I have an inspirational story, you know, um, I get that. But beyond that, I feel like when you leave that room and when every individual left that room, I wanted them to be impacted in such a way that they impact, you know, the communities that they return to and um, they impact their family, their neighborhood, um, their classroom. Um, I was hoping that even with some of the young students, like, that there was something that I said that would really pierce their heart and be buried in there for when there's a bad day mm-hmm. um, or when you don't understand something and when life is complicated, which life gets complicated. I was hoping that at least something that I said or even the image of me being on stage here at Appalachian State would inspire them and and hopefully give them the nudge that they needed to continue on. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, people were you know, really like ignited from my speech today. My money's on, yes, that happened. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this may, I don't know if, if this is a great way to end, but, you know, as we kind of were thinking through where we've been just over the past couple of years, it's been a rough couple of years for society, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that tends to be amplified on a college campus. You know, there's anxieties about COVID, about global warming, about economic concerns, political, civil clashes, all that, and and then you combine it with this extreme social isolation. Excuse me, this extreme social isolation that can present a lot of mental health challenges for young people in particular. And so, um, I'm just kind of curious. What do you say to people who are searching to find hope and strength among those really sometimes what can feel like really overwhelming challenges? Right. Well, I think the first thing is to know that you're not alone. Right. Um, I think a lot of times we encounter these difficult moments um, and what really kind of magnifies uh, this, this this feeling of despair is feeling like you're all alone. Um, I've heard from many college students who will bury themselves in their dorm room and do not want to have any interaction with the outside world. Um, you can be on a campus um, with so many thousands of students um, and staff and faculty and feel alone. I think that the first thing is to know that you're not alone. Even if you feel like you're alone, just know that you're not alone. Um, We're all experiencing everything that's going on. So just, again, know that you're not alone. I think that after that, it's about really being okay with how you feel, right? Um, I think that, and I would never want people to look at me and, and think that I'm just you know, trying to advocate for, hey, feel better, feel better. Right. Like, you know, um, no, like if you need a moment to to gather yourself, if you need a moment to feel sadness, like feel it, feel it and know it um, because you're going to be able to use that later to maybe help someone else. So feel it. Um, and if we turn a blind eye and act like we don't feel it, that's not going to do anything. Right. So feel it, um, absorb it. And then I would say, you know, really talk to someone. When is your time? So not trying to push anyone, um, take your time, but like 
talk to someone, be around someone who cares about you, who wants to pour into you. Um, and even if that's not, you know, them giving advice or them saying something, like get with someone who will just listen to you lament about whatever's going on. Um, I think that that, you know, is really, really important. Um, but in today's age with everything going on, that you've got to have someone who is in your corner. Um, and so, you know, I don't mind even being that person. So, um, yeah, but make sure you have someone that's in your corner that's willing to be there to support you. I think that's really, really important for people to hear. Thank yes, you. Absolutely. Well, Monique Johnson, it's been my privilege and my pleasure to speak with you today. You, you have brought joy to our campus on the first day of class. Oh, I'm, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, the beginning of a semester, the beginning of a new year, I think it's just, um, it's a really great way to get started. And those who had the pleasure of hearing you speak today are inspired to embrace what the new year holds for us. So thank you for the joy and the light, the hope that you brought to our campus, and also the pragmatism as well. So um, the impact that you have, I am confident, is going to continue on our campus, um, you know, for, for quite a while. Awesome. Thank I'm you so, so much. grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks with assistance from Wes Craig. Our web team is Pete Montaldi, Alex Waterworth, and Derek Wyckoff. Research assistance comes from Elizabeth Wall, and video and photo support come from Garrett Ford and Marie Freeman. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes.